about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Good morning. Our first reading is from Exodus chapter 1, which is found on page 55 of the Bibles that are in the pews. Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous, so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labour, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. This is the word of the Lord. God's word. Father, we thank you for the great privilege we have of gathering this morning around your word. We ask as we look at this wonderful book that you would speak to us, uh, that you would change us and that we would be people who are truly free. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're just beginning our nine-week series on Exodus. Uh, If you know anything about Exodus, it's a long book, so in some ways we're racing through it. Um, But this morning we're going to be looking at the first two chapters. And I guess the question to ask as we start is just where does Exodus fit in? Uh, you may be familiar with the, with the story of the Bible. The Bible is a whole story of God's action. So if we go over here and we say that um, this is creation, uh, God creates the world, Genesis uh, 1 and 2. This is the fall when people turn their back on God, uh, decide to go their own way, do their own thing, decide to become their own authority, not be under God's authority. We then see the rest of the Bible unfold as God explains how he's going to call people back to himself. And we come to Jesus' death and resurrection, the high point of things, and then we see things unfold from there, and then right in Revelation 21, we have this picture of consummation, this picture of what will be when there was no more tears, no more pain, that beautiful kind of picture of what heaven will be like. So, if you think about what we're doing here, we've started off with Genesis, Genesis unfolding the fall here, we're we're just a little way into the story. We're not very far into the story in terms of the whole Bible and the way that it unfolds. But right at this point, 
We're at a very significant time in the unfolding of, of what's going to happen in terms of redemption. Uh, in Exodus, we start to hear themes that will resonate throughout the whole Bible. Uh, we'll come across people being rescued by the blood of the Lamb. That'll, that'll come up. We hear also about other things such as people walking through water, which the New Testament tells us actually is a bit like baptism. And so, in Exodus, we start to hear these amazing themes develop. And they're very relevant to us because they speak about our journey as well. And so, in some senses, we're caught up in this journey through Exodus as we see that what God does with his people and how he enters into the world and comes close to his people. So, it's a pretty exciting journey. There's, there's twists and turns all the way. But let's, let's, let's just explore <laughs> how that works and uh, think about it. So, did you hear all of that that I was talking about? Was I shouting loud enough? Fantastic, good, excellent, okay. We'll continue then. I won't go back and do the whole thing again. Um, we're just beginning at the uh, beginning of Exodus, chapters 1 and 2. Let's just think about what, how the rest of Genesis has unfolded since the fall. Okay. We know that God, as part of his way forward, has made a covenant with his people. Back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God has promised to Abraham that his nation will be great, that he will be over a great nation, that he will bless him, and that through him the rest of the world will be blessed. As Genesis unfolds, we're off to a rocky start. Uh, There are a number of instances where people aren't able to have children, there are a number of instances where it looks like this hope, this, this commitment that God has made is all but lost. But we see Isaac and then we see Jacob with his 12 sons and then we see Joseph. Um, and Joseph is sold into slavery, uh, into Egypt and we think, oh, how will this ever work out? God's made a promise for this nation to be great and and here is Joseph in slavery and they seem to be going nowhere and as you know with the story of Joseph uh, he finally becomes second in charge. And that's where we find ourselves in Exodus. The people have grown. There's lots and lots of people. The descendants of the people of Israel are, are in Egypt And of course at first they've been welcomed and people have been pretty excited about this idea of having them there because of what they've done. But over a period of time, they've become numerous. And all of a sudden the pharaohs don't remember what Joseph did. And they are extremely threatened by what is taking place. And as you heard from our reading, they are now treated as slaves. The beginning of the book of Exodus actually starts with an and. It's like the continuation of the story. And this is what takes place. Now, as we unfold the book of Exodus, what we'll discover is that kind of part one is all about God rescuing his people from slavery. Um, Israel are enslaved and then they're redeemed. Part two, from about chapter 20 on, is all about Israel being bound by a covenant with God and God calling them into his service to be a light to the nations. 
It's a picture, actually, of how God comes close. How God comes to us. And we'll see this beautiful picture unfold as we, go th- as we come through the text over the next nine weeks. Does that sound like the fans making a lot of noise there? Is that distracting anyone? Or drawing attention to it has just drawn your attention to it? Ah, great. Okay. Maybe, Frank, I think we can turn this off and we'll just use this because it's distracting me and that doesn't actually help. As we look at the first two chapters, what we'll discover is a problem we all face, a solution we all try, and a God who draws near. Come with me as we look at the text. As I've mentioned to you already, people have come into Egypt. They're now in slavery. Uh, The pharaohs are not very excited by this and they've made their lives very, very difficult. Hard and bitter are the words that are used. Uh, The pharaohs were known for their big building projects. Some have suggested that, for example, um, there are uh, 24 million bricks in some of their projects. And descriptions of those who worked on those projects, particularly making bricks and doing things like that, are of people who are just covered in mud day after day after day after day. It is an oppressive regime. As they grow and as the chapter unfolds, if you look with me, you'll discover that the Pharaoh gets even further threatened and he's concerned about the birth rate of those people from Israel. He's concerned that they keep growing in number. And so he says, well, we're going to have to start killing off all the baby boys. Now, if you you listen carefully, you can hear that theme repeated, can't you? Uh, Throughout the Bible, you hear this oppression of people in that way and, and that's what's taking place here. And in fact... Baby boys are killed. The population is being curbed. However, they keep to growing and growing in number and they have greater and greater slaves. I guess the question is, what do we learn from this? Um, I'm, I'm guessing that perhaps most of us here haven't experienced uh, slavery in that form. Um, we haven't faced that particular problem. Now, that's not to say that slavery isn't existent in our world. Very sadly, it is. I'm told that um, it's possible that there are 20 to 30 million people in some kind of slavery, uh, particularly in countries like Pakistan and India and Nepal and Africa. There's the sex slave trade in places like in, in Europe. It's not as if slavery is behind us in some sense, but... My guess is that's not actually something we experience very much. So, so what are we to understand as, as we're painted this picture of a people in slavery being oppressed? Well, the Bible actually speaks of us as being people who are affected by slavery, um, as people who are actually slaves. 
uh, as you read on in the Bible, you discover that the Bible describes us as people who are slaves to sin. In Romans 6, we read these words, Do you not know when you offer yourselves to someone to obey them as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? But then it continues in verse 17, But thanks be to God that through you, uh, who used to be slaves to sins, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you have been entrusted. You have been set free from sin, but listen to these words, and have become slaves to righteousness. It turns out that the biblical narrative about our world tells us that we are meant to be under authority. Now, that's not something we're terribly comfortable with. We don't like the notion of being told that we need to be under authority. But if you go back to the beginning when God created the world, you see that man and woman are created under his authority. In the garden, they're under his authority. What happens is they reject that authority And the Bible says we become enslaved by other authorities, enslaved to other things which lead us away from God. Now, that kind of slavery plays itself out in all kinds of ways. Sometimes it happens to us. Sometimes we grow up in homes where there are difficulties and challenges and, and, and sometimes abuse. Sometimes we go to schools and we go to places of work where people bully us and say certain things about us. And there's, there's some sense in which we become enslaved by those things. We become enslaved by what people have said and what people have done and we live our lives enslaved to those things. Now sometimes as a reaction to that or sometimes just because of our own dark hearts, we also enslave ourselves to other things. Sometimes as an escape, we might enslave ourselves to drinking a little too much or a prescription drug or treating people in a certain way. And so in other ways, we can become enslaved as well. We can be enslaved in the pursuit of money We can become enslaved in the pursuit of health. We can become enslaved in the pursuit of a career. And so what we worship is not God. We worship something else. And the Bible's story says, actually when you do that, you are enslaved. Now it's true, the people of Israel are in a different kind of slavery. They are being oppressed by those outside, but it's really interesting to watch as they come out of that slavery just how much that slavery affects them. We will hear them say, for example, we want to go back to Egypt. We would rather not be under the authority of God. We'd rather be under the authority of the Pharaoh. It seems to be better. And so even as they're being redeemed, as they're escaping, there is a sense of a longing for something different, to be under another kind of authority. And so if you're a Christian and you've been in a church for a long time, you will know that there are times where 
the voices of slavery, that kind of slavery, continue to echo and to continue to draw you back and draw you back into that kind of slavery rather than being set free to be Christ's slave. Our vision for our church is whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and captivated, do you hear the word? And living out his freedom. It's it's a picture of us saying, we want to come under Jesus' authority. We think the best way to wholeness, to richness in life, in fact the best way to freedom, is to live under the right authority. The authority of Jesus Christ. So that's why our vision is whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Because we really, truly believe that to be his slave is the best way forward. But of course, that's hard to convince ourselves of sometimes. We we forget to notice God's gracious gift towards us and we forget to notice what God is doing. And And Moses has the same problem. He tries to resolve this slavery in ways that we try to resolve slavery. So while he faces the same kinds of problems we face, he also tries the same sorts of solutions that we try. Um, His is a miraculous story, as you will see in the passage uh, in chapter 1 and 2. He's born. As part of this regime of killing babies, he's meant to be drowned. Uh, His wife... Sorry, his wife. His mother (laughs) obeys the commands, puts him in the water, but actually puts him in a little basket. He floats down. One of Pharaoh's family finds him. And Moses' mother ends up becoming the person who looks after him in Pharaoh's family. And so Moses has this amazing world that he's born into. He knows about the slavery of his people, but he's also born into the riches of Pharaoh's family and he sees what's going on. And as we read through the passage, he sees the slavery of his own people and it deeply disturbs him and he wants to do something about it. And I think think that actually is what happens to us at times too. We, we, we see the slavery. We see what's taking place. We see the slavery in our own lives and, and we say, let's do something about it. And so what does he do? Well, if you're familiar with the story, he goes and kills an Egyptian. He takes things into his own hands and he says, this is the way forward. This is the way I will resolve this issue of slavery. And I think we find ourselves doing the same thing from time to time too. Taking things into our own hands, those things that we're enslaved to and saying, I'm just going to beat them on my own terms. But what Moses finds is what we will often find and that is that he fails. He's killed one Egyptian. There are many, many more to kill. He's not going to defeat slavery this way. He's not really made a difference at all. 
It's kind of a little dint in what needs to be done. And so he escapes. He runs away. He leaves behind him his people who are captivated and are in slavery. The people who desperately need help. He runs. And ain't that true for us too? So often when we find ourselves trapped by past circumstances, by the things that we love, that we kind of try and run away. We don't deal with them. We don't face them. We kind of put them behind us and try and pretend they don't exist. And yet the truth is they keep coming back to haunt us, to challenge us. And and actually we're not truly free. So Moses does, I think, what we, we all tend to do. First of all, he tries to fix it and then he finds himself running. He tries to deal with his own slavery and the slavery of those around by fixing it and running. But you know what? God has a different plan. God draws near. At the end of chapter 2 we read these words. During that long period the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. They cry, uh, cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, in some ways, that's a bit surprising because if you've read the first two chapters of Exodus, you might have wondered where God is. What has he been doing? Has he been quiet? Has he been silent? Has God been doing anything? And sometimes I guess that's the way we feel, isn't it? We're in the midst of conflict and in the midst of our own slaveries. We wonder, what is God doing? And yet, what we see is a God coming near. Think about what's taking place. The people are multiplying in great numbers. What was, what was the blessing that was given Abraham? What was the covenant? The covenant was that the people of God would multiply in great numbers. That's starting to happen. Did you notice the Hebrew midwives, if you're familiar with the story, who feared God and were saving the little children? They're a group of women, godly women. God was working through them, rescuing little baby boys from Pharaoh's wrath. But you know what's even more amazing? It's it's right there in the detail. You know how I said Moses was put in a little basket? The word used there is actually an unusual word. It's not the word you would normally use for a basket. It actually means ark. Ark, Noah, something's going on here. God has a plan. It's, it's in this little basket. It's an ark. God hasn't forgotten. 
He is about rescuing people. He is about redeeming a people for himself. He will act. He will call a people for himself. And then as we come to this passage at the end of chapter 2, what do we see? The Israelites finally recognise that they cannot do anything about their own slavery. And they start calling out to God for help. He has been walking beside them all the way behind the scenes. He has been part of their story even when they didn't see it. And yet now they call out to him. And see what God does? He says, he hears their groaning and he remembered his covenant. Now, that sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? Did God forget? <laughs> Did God just get too busy? Like, was there some kind of other bits of the universe to be running? No, it's not that kind of remembering. God, as we've seen, is behind the scenes working already. He's working out the redemption of his people. He knows he has a commitment to his people. That's the kind of remembering we have. It's the kind of remembering you might see in a marriage relationship. Yes, I'm committed to this person. That's always present, always there, always in the background. No, I'm not thinking about it every single day. But this ring on my finger reminds me over and over again that I've made some commitments. I've made a covenant with my wife. I belong with her. And God is doing the same thing with his people. He's committed to them. He loves them. He's following them through. And we see this finally, just just in this last verse, verse 25. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Uh, The sense here is actually not just a God who's distant, not just a God who kind of stands back and kind of turns a few cogs and and things kind of unfold. Now, this, this is a God, the sense here is a God who wants to get his hands dirty. A God who intimately understands the groaning of his people. A God who sees their cries and their agony. Who understands what it, it's like to be a slave, to be trapped not to be free. And he says, I want to come close. I I, I want to release you. I want to free you. Free you into my presence. Into following me because I can give you all that you need. I can give you all that you desire. I can give you everything that will free you from this kind of slavery. God draws near. And ultimately we see this unfold in Jesus Christ. If you remember that passage in Hebrews chapter 4, it speaks of a God who draws near in Christ. For therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest, speaking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in every way, just as we were, without sin. 
He gets where we are. He understands who we are. He understands what entraps and enslaves us. He understands the struggles that we have with trying to release ourselves from that slavery or trying to run away ourselves from that slavery. He understands those things intimately and closely. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, So therefore, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive, what is it, mercy, forgiveness and help in our time of need. Just exactly what we need. So this morning, let me invite you in light of these words from Exodus chapter 1 and 2 to come close to God, the God who wants to come close to you and walk with you. No matter where you find yourself and no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, a God who wants to redeem you for himself and free you from slavery. Let me pray. Father God, you create us and you seek to bless us. You appoint others to aid us along the way and we thank you. Please draw us away from the deep dangers of a slavery to other things other than you. Help us work hard and find hope in you, our Redeemer. Help us find hope in the Lord Jesus Christ because he was faithful at every moment in his life. He became the sojourner in our foreign land for our sake. Because you heard our groaning and remembered your covenant, you sent your Son from heaven to earth that we too might be free. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.